Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a podcast about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. For our third installment of Winter... Fourth. Fourth installment. Fourth installment? Many. For the next installment (laughs) of Winter Wonderland, we're dialing it back to the bygone era of 1990. The Hubble telescope had just been launched into space. Microsoft 3.0 was hot off the presses and on the stands. The first McDonald's had opened up in Russia, truly signifying a unified world. And of course, Doc Ock decided to hit up one of his exes. Today, we're talking about Spectacular Spider-Man 173, 174, and 175. Um, 173 was plotted by Jerry Conway and scripted by Jerry Conway and David Michelinie. Art was by Sal Buscema, colors by Bob Sharon, and letters were by Rick Parker. For 174, this one was scripted by David Michelinie and Terry Cavanaugh and colored by Joe Rossus. And then for Spectacular 175, the whole shebang was written by Michelinie and was colored by Sharon and Company. Uh, So I'm assuming still Bob Sharon, but his company as well. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell all of our listeners where they cannot find this? Yeah, you can't. Good luck. Gotta dig through (laughs) those bins. Gotta try hard. Gotta, you know, hit up Pirate Bay or whatever you do. (laughs) No, Um, no, we we do not. We do not uh, condone pirating your comics on this. But to that to that note, this is not available on Comixology Unlimited, nor was it uh, collected in trade. So you're gonna have to find the individual issues to read this story. And they go for about four dollars a pop. Yeah, you know, sometimes a little bit under, depending on the grade. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you get a reader copy versus one that someone kept in pristine condition. Um, so this story right here, these three issues, uh, they function more like a two-part story with a one-part Christmas prelude. So, um, but because here at the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, we believe in the spirit of giving during this winter holiday season, we're going to be covering the whole story. Not just the Christmas parts. <laughs> uh, the biggest piece of continuity that contextualizes this first issue uh, will be familiar to all of our spider aficionados as well as our fans of the theme song. That's right. We're talking about the time Aunt May almost got married to Dr. Octopus. Uh, coincidentally, that that issue the the where Aunt May almost got married to Doc Ock was also the issue that debuted the Spider-Mobile so it was just a weird time in general, but that was years prior. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. This was this was in the Jerry Jerry Conway wrote wrote that arc. So this is him coming back and writing a follow up like twenty years later. Look, uh, there was unexplored territory with that idea that <laughs> needed to be brought to the canon. God, well, that, that's an arc we need to cover. The um the long. The long lost romance of Doc Ock and Aunt May. I mean, she like she lived with him for a year. I think about in like real lifetime, uh, where she was his live-in maid. <laughs> but anyway, 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 for another time. Uh, so that that's that's the background. Um, you know, background continuity as far as what was currently going on in that title. Um, the, the main plot point you need to know is that Jameson lost the Daily Bugle to a pro Spider-Man 
editor named Thomas Fireheart in Spectacular 158. He then regained it in Spectacular 171, and the building was destroyed in Web of Spider-Man 64 and 65, which was published a few months before this story. And then so the um, the second two issues in this, uh, this arc are focused on Jameson... Uh, cutting, have doing a ribbon cutting ceremony for the new Daily Bugle building. Uh, I think I think that's about all all we need to know to to tee up this story. Well, oh, before we continue, that just raises a really important question: How much time does Jameson actually have control of the Bugle? Because a lot of the stuff we've read recently is him having to deal with some other editor or whatever, like. Yeah, so, yeah, he lost it to Fireheart here in the early 90s, and then in the late 90s, he lost it again to Norman Osborn, and then we have in the the mid-aughts, or I guess the late aughts, he he loses it to uh, Dexter Bennett. Uh, Yeah, he just has a hard time keeping a grip on that thing, and right now it's uh, Robinson's, uh, Robbie Robertson's... uh, book or i'm sorry not book paper as far as a newspaper exists in this day and age but uh they're still kicking yeah it's just fascinating to me you know we always think of him that way but it seems like uh it's more tenuous yeah well i i guess yeah for about like the past 30 years he really i i I, he had a solid handle on it i think from chapter one up until brand new day so so for about like a decade he, he he held on to it Everyone's favorite era of Spider-Man, Chapter One and Brand New Day. <laughs> hey, there was some good stuff in between, oh, and then there's you a also, lot of great stuff. We've covered. Then you also had Sins Past. No, because those <laughs> comics don't exist. They do. Um, no, Gabe, for the Gabriel's... purposes of Untold Talks of Spider-Man, they don't exist because they're too popular for us to cover, and they're too terrible for us to break the rule. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, well, let's, let's move on to the non-gritty superhero, Spider-Man, as the uh, front cover of um, 173 well, uh, labels him with a trademark note. We should also note the other bits on the cover, which is, Warning, events in this issue will lead to major developments harmful to Peter Parker's life. You know, you gotta buy it now. Something Spoilers, bad's gonna happen. Spoilers! They don't! <laughs> ah, there's some things. And then, um, have a really interesting uh, tangle with uh, Spidey and Ock, where it looks like Spidey's actually successfully crushing one of the tentacles. Like, they get tighter around where he's gripping. Yeah, yeah, well, the, the front cover promises a knockdown brawl. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So, um, the issue starts up like many Spider-Man issues. We got some narrow duels. They've just uh, stabbed a guy to death on Christmas Eve. You know, like you do. Um, yeah. And <laughs> our hero, Dr. Octopus rises from the Hudson River Bay in a bathysphere, of all things. And a bathysphere, for those who are not on the up-and-up about their submersible vehicles, is basically a giant ball that's also a submarine. So, like, from the depths, this thing just rises up, and Doc Ock pops out and just murders these guys, which, I mean, they also just murdered a guy for... um, drug money yeah uh so like net zero uh i mean the die the die was cast for them uh so to speak (laughs) Uh, 
Um, I what, what I want to note about this bathosphere, as you put it, is that it has tentacles coming off the dang thing, you know, like an octopus. This seems like a signature vehicle for Oct to get around it, you know, like one might have a spider mobile or one might have a fantastic cart. This feels like this should be a bigger part of Marvel lore, but it's been overlooked, unrightfully so. Bring back Ox Bathosphere. <laughs> I mean, uh, something tells me you could have bought a toy of it. Like, this this thing would have, like, you, you could buy, like, the Doc Ock playset with, and, like, it comes in the bathosphere and, like, you open it up and it has, like, the little mini figures and, like, you could play with them. Like, this sounds like something I would have bought, like, as a four year old. And by I would have bought, I mean, my parents would have bought because four year olds aren't allowed to have jobs to afford their own kind of toys. <sighs> what BS is that? <laughs> <laughs> um,. So, so after after Doc Ock kind uh, uh, dispatches of these once again narrow duels, I think is a good way to call them. Uh, he then enters a taxi that was waiting on him at this particular it's location. It's a limo. It's a oh, limo. I'm sorry, a limo. You're right, a limo. Uh, With a martini waiting for him, a driver in distress, but obeying his every order. Okay, like, I I just want to paint this scene. So, this guy in a limo drives up to this abandoned harbor filled with drug-crazed murderers and just idles the engine. Because, alright, like, like, like... uh, Imagine, imagine you're driving this taxi and like you're reading the instructions as this, oh, I'm sorry, this limo, as this guy over like yonder is just getting like stabbed over and over again. You're like, okay, so this giant sphere will come out of the bay and then a guy with four mechanical arms on his back will come in. There better be a martini, like. <laughs> Well, and what's even weirder is this guy's going to make a booty call to a grandma. <laughs> this guy being Doc Ock. So the the holiday season has gotten him nostalgic and he's he's going through a photo album uh martini in hand as the limo driver is taking him out to Forest Hills and looking at like old pictures of Aunt May and um <laughs> No, and the world may scorn Doctor Octopus, but but Octo- Otto Octavius is forever Maze, or it, like it's something along those lines, or, or is, yeah. is what he says. So well, the melodrama is through the roof. I mean, it's it's a super hammy scene, but it's it's hammy in a fun way. Like this is this is definitely Conway leaning into the kind of the goofier elements of Spider-Man. And, and this is the Toby Maguire's Aunt May, not the Tom Holland's Aunt May. Just oh, to oh, be yeah, clear. Yes. yes. Busema is drawing the uh Romita-inspired Aunt May with like the really strong chin, the like deep, deep wrinkles, uh white hair. Uh it, it, yeah, it's strange because, I mean, Aunt May is drawn like an octogenarian at, like, the most generous. Like, you know, like, 80s maybe. Doc Ock looks like he's in his, like, mid to early 40s. So, I don't know. It's never addressed. But, uh, anyway, uh, so we we leave that story. What and would then Freud we- say? <laughs> 
I'm not. I'm not going to try an Austrian accent uh, off the cuff. Uh, uh, it'll just. It'll just turn to Arnold, and then we'll have a really interesting Freud. But uh, there's the movie I want to see. <laughs> but so we move to Forest Hills, and then we get a very special episode of Spectacular Spider-Man, where uh, we we check in on Christy Watson, who is uh, Mary Jane's cousin. And a recent storyline with her is that Mary Jane has discovered that her young niece is bulimic. And she has since recovered, and Aunt May makes reference to this and says, like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're able to eat these cookies that I made for you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, this is also the period where Aunt May is dating the Fantastic Four's mailman. Um, what's his name again? Um, okay. Willie Lumpkin. Okay, I kept wanting to say Willie Loman. I'm like, no, that's that's Death of a Salesman. But yes, Willie Lumpkin, <laughs> who eats eats a cookie and says they're ear wiggling good, and like he's got like his ears wiggle. This guy, like, this is weird. This is this is weird. He's <laughs> endearing. He's charming. Come on, Kate. I don't know. It's a different age. Also, I want to point out. Um, Christie's eating disorder bit because it's a whole thing here. Um, they refer to it as binge purge anorexia, which, as you said, bulimia. Um, also, she's eating sugar-free cookies, which seems more like a diabetic issue. But I guess she doesn't want to eat sugar. Fair enough. But that's odd. Also, May doesn't make a few of these sugar-free cookies. This is like an oven full coming out on a plate. This That's a lot of sugar-free cookies that nobody wants. Hey, they're ear-wigglingly good. Oh, yeah, they, uh, got, they May... taste like earwax. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, Aunt May's superpower is uh, grain-based cooking. You know, wheat cakes, sugar-free cookies, they, you know, hostess fruit pies. Uh, she can do it all. Harold the um, Galactus. <laughs> also um, um the, the big thing here with this comic with christy is she's able to eat in front of them that's supposed to be a big victory so this is some small character moment that's supposed to be this whole thing it just kind of gets wrapped up in a page like well i mean it's yeah. it's the standard well we check in with the with the support cast and the big arc has been this lately so we we kind of get like an end cap on that like every, every it's tied up with a bow it's all neat and, and then we can move on um this is also around the time this is a little bit no no this is past the marriage but mj is still mj's role in this entire story is very strange and it starts like within the first few pages right here where she is pining for Peter in like a thought bubble. And like, I just can't wait for him to get over here so we can get under the mistletoe or, or, or something. And yeah, like, and, and like this, this continues through this comic where all of MJ's interior thoughts are just about how she, she can't wait to become physically intimate with Peter. And it's like, it just reminds me of like when people say that MJ was, you know, a boring character or when like she didn't really work. It, like, this is what I think about is when no one really knew how to write her. So they just kind of wrote her as the like, uh, amorous, amorous, like wife figure for Peter to come home. And, you know, you, you draw some cheesecake and then, and then you're done. Um, this, this sugar free is... cookies, not cheesecake. <laughs> 
<laughs> all right okay uh <laughs> sorry no 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 that's fine um th- then we kind of transition to the true villain of this arc and this era of spider-man spider-man nick- no not spider-man oh i thought nick- we were getting nick- deep for a second <laughs> no nick kazenberg oh oh yeah that guy's a heel <laughs> So for those not familiar with this era of Spider-Man, Nick Kazenberg is a hire at the Daily Bugle, and he is the most lecherous, foul-mouthed, um, skeevy, lecherous like character ever put in the Spider-Man like mythos. Like everything he says like not only makes all of the characters skins crawl but it also is like uncomfortable to read as the reader like it it's just like it's it's pure cringe everything he says it, it's just um he makes constant pat like constant digs and passes in the same breath at Mary Jane to <laughs> Peter over and over again um but and, and this leads to a confrontation at the bugle. But before we get to that, there we do have a little bit of Spider-Man action. So so Mary Jane, like, like I said, is, is lusting after Peter and wondering where he is. Cut to Peter um, stopping some some burglars outside of wherever uh, you know, like 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 a Spider-Man do. And what what why don't you take this, Matt? All right. So there's some thieves who are stealing money from one of the, uh, basically Salvation Army Santas. You know, someone ring the bell to raise money for the poor before we learned about maybe some other things about the Salvation Army back in the day. Um, and so, you know, he's trying to get the money back and, you know, beat up the thugs. And while he's starting to say, you know, give the man, be smart, give the man his money, which it doesn't quite read as Spider-Man to me. But then, or spend Silent Night in the emergency room. There we go. <laughs> uh, he, uh, the the thugs point at this billboard that says Spider-Man's friend and ours, and it's Peter snuggling with a puppy and a kitten. And so well, it's, it's Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man oh, snuggling. Yeah, say, snuggling. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. I know they're the same. Uh, <laughs> and one of the thugs is like, ooh, a puppy. You're going to stick a puppy on us, sort of. And Spider-Man, our non-gritty superhero, as Kane pointed out, uh, go gets a little uh, rough with them. And Nick Katzenberg, our new favorite heel, catches it all on looks like a Nikon. So, like, not only does he catch it all, like he is in a speeding car that kind of like runs by, and he catches uh, a few images, and then shouts, "I can't wait to sell these to the bugle!" Spider-Man beats up youths <laughs> going out for like a Yule, t- like going out for like a Christmas stroll, or you know, yeah. something. So, and <laughs> it, it's just like he's hanging out the car window, screaming this at Spider-Man. <laughs> and what's funny is, is if you look at the panel, Spider-Man and the thug he has webbed up have a thought bubble at the same time that says, Nick Katzenberg. Now, you could say it's the snow that looks like the thought bubble leading to the uh, crook, crook, but I swear it's a thought bubble for both of them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that, that billboard is, like we said, uh, or like I said uh, you know, earlier, the, the billboard is one of Thomas Fireheart's leftovers. I, I suppose he still had uh, the the space rented. Um, so he had a bunch of pro Spider-Man billboards 
up around and this was one of them spider-man like playing with some kittens and be like he's a friend of the animals i I guess trying to get people to trust spider-man a little bit more but it backfired here where it's uh undercut his ability to intimidate thugs um so so spider-man is a little miffed about that then also miffed about uh katzenberg uh which newman (laughs) <laughs> exactly it's a very like it's a very like human kind of uh seinfeld uh relationship um, for those who know god that's a thing now yeah for i was about to are... say oh man uh, uh anyway anyway yeah, which was it's... a sitcom in the 90s and i feel <laughs> there that looks very much like nick katzenberg is named newman that's, I think that's enough. Um, then we get a hobo with our requisite oil barrel on fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got to have one of those. It's a Christmas up, or it's a winter winter snow issue. We got to have the, the the homeless people with the the oil barrel fire. Yeah. We, we've had it in every issue, haven't we? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Nick hits up this guy for information. That that's the end of that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It. it, it uh Kassenberg has a like a small thread through this issue which leads to him taking a photo of the rose and i i don't know if that's picked up in later issues or not but uh for the first part of what is basically a three-part story that is never picked up again so i don't know what's going on but um the the main the main thrust of this issue however is at the bugle's christmas party where peter uh kind of unveils this crystal swan that he bought for mary jane and he's very proud of it um kazenberg then shows up and starts you know straight acting the fool uh he like you know he makes he makes a pass at mary jane to peter uh you know he he's loud he's a braggart people are clearly not happy with him being there um and so peter decides that he's just gonna give give him a little bump you know just just a little a little spider bump and um the bird breaks yeah the the bird breaks in the process and kazenberg kind of teases uh peter about this and it causes Peter to just go ballistic and he like breaks the table in half and threatens to rip Kazenberg's quote bloody skull from his spine. Well, bloody head from his shoulders. It's okay, a, yeah. it, it's a tone down from that. But yeah, just yes. one. Yeah, head from shoulders rather than skull from spine. And again, remember kids, this is the non-gritty superhero. TM. It's okay. It his is mask a trademark. It's a trademark phrase. They trademarked that phrase. <laughs> um. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah. So we get then from that, we get a despondent Spider-Man swinging back to uh, Forest Hills to kind of, you know, lick his wounds and see his family for Christmas. But lurking in the window kind of like peeking in and realizing that Aunt May has moved on to her newest stud muffin, uh, Lily Lumpkin. <laughs> and and just as Ock is about to slink away into the night, Spider-Man shows up and goes full defensive, well, thinking Ock is going to like try something. What? what? I, I just want to point out here, you say Ock's lurking in the window. He looks like Dennis the Menace. Like... <laughs> 
literally just like barely like he had to be scrunched over like barely peeking over so you just see half of his face like a little kid it's absolutely ridiculous and then yeah uh spider-man jumps him mm-hmm. and uh I mean, they start tangling like they always do i don't know if you think there's anything there's there's really not but this is this is what sets up the next two issues of the story is that you know may comes out and reprimands both of them um and Otto is deeply ashamed that may saw this side of him and and kind of you know and retreats and you know but he he I, I, it's hard to say that he, he this causes him to foster a personal grudge with spider-man because he always has a personal grudge with spider-man but it, it's a more immediate one and the the issue kind of ends on uh on a low note here with you know spider-man not having the best Christmas of his life. Spoilers. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, we also get an interesting parallel here between the Christmas party bit we just talked about in here, where Ox says, I let my emotions overcome my intellect. He just kind of slinks away after apologizing. And we didn't mention that. Peter apologizes to Jonah and everyone and leaves after he smashes Nick. And so it's an interesting parallel where you see these two things, but because they're, this is a superhero supervillain fight, it seems like a smaller thing. But because Peter did this as Peter at the party, that feels like it has more weight, like he lost more control. So it's odd. And even funnier is after all this, Aunt Mays says, that was Dr. Octavius, but why didn't he come in? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, she just misses the warm embrace of his tentacles in a friendly hug. This is the non-gritty superhero show, Kay. We can't go there. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so so this ends our Christmas issue. And just going by the covers, this is, you know the first part of a three-part story like all the covers involve spider-man and doc op fighting but once we go to the next issue we we immediately set up a new story and like like some of that grudge from the spider-man doc Ock fight carries through but it's not it, it's not apparently it's not apparent that this is the next day which would be christmas but right. it is the next day yeah it doesn't quite seem right also it's snowing and it's pretty well snowy the entire last issue and we get to this one the streets are bone dry everything looks like you know normal new york i guess no winter at all right Um, well i mean and part of the reason for this is that this issue was the december issue of 89 and you know and so it's going to be the christmas themed one but we also don't want to have a christmas themed you know the end of the christmas themed story to be in february so they they kind of quickly drop the you know, despite the fact that this is Jameson is holding this uh, ribbon cutting ceremony uh, ceremony on Christmas Day, it's just not mentioned because sliding timeline. Um, I, I guess it works even in in the the, the micro sense like this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Just because it's snowing doesn't mean it's Christmas. It's just winter. Like, I guess that part bugs me a little bit more than the day shift. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but I to get, so Jameson's unveiling the new Daily Bugle. Um, there's some shenanigans. Our our heel of Nick is there. The the biggest part about this is um, Jameson unveils this statue of himself at the front of the Daily Bugle. 
And it's not just a statue of himself. It is a monument to Jameson's ego. Like he's he's got like the hands on the hip, kind of like heroic pose. He's chomping the big the big cigar like he used to. Uh, like it is the like <laughs> it is so tacky and amazing at the same time. And everyone's reaction to it is horror disgust um you know some people seem to be not terribly surprised by it but jameson is so proud of this thing and almost immediately almost immediately an earthquake strikes and nothing is destroyed but this statue which tells you he made it on the cheap oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> Uh, I will say this, though. Nick Kratzenberg's reaction is the best, which is just, man, I wish I was a pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're right, you're right. Um, So, yeah, from here, uh, Spider-Man just goes into this underground secret subway. I don't know. It's in the suit. He takes a sewer porthole to get to it. But the minute you go down, it's not the sewers. It's a video game lair. Every wall looks high tech and there's piping along the way, but not like rusty sewer piping, like special sci-fi piping. And Doc Ock just pops out on a full page spread and they start duking it out till uh, you end up with Spider-Man in that classic pose buried underneath some rubble. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 fighting Doc Ock. There's going to be some rubble falling on somebody, be it Spider-Man, be it Gwen Stacy's dad. You know, it's just it's rubble's going to fall. It's just it's what Doc Ock does. You know, Venom drools. Doc Ock makes rubble. Okay, so at this point, we've had a weird little character moment to open. Spider-Man goes to some weird sci-fi area. And now we're back up at the party celebrating the open of the building. And Mary Jane decides to look for Peter. So she sees an open elevator shaft and said, you know, oh, maybe he's here, I guess. I don't know why she's looking down an empty elevator shaft. This woman should have a little more aversion to danger at this point in her life. And then Doc <laughs> Ock just pops up, grabs her by the throat, takes her going. And then, um, yeah, so you have all this, you know, drama set up as Doc Ock threatens Jameson uh, that he's going to take down the entire building with, what we see Spider-Man looking forward at, which is this giant robot that's, that has arms around all the support beams ready to crush them with a countdown of 52 seconds, because this is a DC comic now. <laughs> and But like, yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about this robot. Yeah, cliffhanger. Let's talk about this robot for a second. So, so Doc Ock and Spider-Man are like fighting in a, in like a well. And, 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 and Ock pulls down the walls and crushes Spider-Man, but there's an opening at the bottom of the well that sees this robot, yeah, with, like, Dr. Octopus-style tentacles just sitting around a whole bunch of steel eye beams that are going up, and, like, supposedly these are the support beams for the new Bugle building, and, and Ock's plan is to hold the building hostage to get like millions of dollars from Jameson so that Ock can afford super science. I, I was like tentacle warmers. I I, I don't know. Um, um, I also want to talk about the time displacement here because we have 52 seconds. 
Then mm-hmm. Doc Ock at the top of the second issue says Jameson has a whole minute to think it over, which already he would have less than, assuming we're at the same time. And then we get back to Spider-Man a page later, and now it's 45 seconds, meaning at least seven seconds pass for Spider-Man in between comics. Uh, well, are, are you saying you have an issue with the villainous Doc Ock lying about six whole seconds? I or mean, eight seconds, rather. Yeah, no. When you're putting people on that short of a time frame, you have to be accurate, because what if they were going to use that last few seconds to deliberate? Like, you don't know. It's just bad business. Anyways. uh, I'll keep that in mind next time my uh, doomsday robot is threatening to destroy the uh, headquarters of a local newspaper that I'm trying to blackmail for several million dollars. Look, super relevant in today's age. Uh... (laughs) Uh, I don't know. So anyways, Spider-Man just kind of gets out of the rubble. No no fuss, no muss, no big deal, whatever. Just slow him down a bit. Uh, then the Wild Pack comes in to defend Jonah because he hires mercenaries to defend the new Daily Bugle. Which... Well, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, to, to Jameson's credit, this is something he probably should have done a long time ago. Like, how often has he been sitting in his office and, like, Electro busts in or or Doc Ock grabs him or the chameleon per- impersonates him or, or Spider-Man does something? Like, I, too, would have, like, high-tech arm personnel, like, on a button. Like, all right, well, it's Tuesday. Time to take care of this situation. Um, I also want to point out the times here. The Wild Pack comes in and we have four white male subordinates you know doing mercenary work and only one african-american male no women silver sable does not hire women and i find that (laughs) terrible and ironic uh yeah and then uh even though jameson's going full super villain here telling his armed thugs with laser rifles i want to point out uh to shoot watch out for the woman she's peter parker's wife not just don't shoot the innocent person. <laughs> like that's my employee's wife. Like yeah, it's uh, like you, you know, said, it's... bad writing around Mary Jane. It was a little like, mm-hmm. like I guess it's not wrong, but it's also kind of like yeah, don't shoot the woman. Like okay, don't <laughs> we shoot. Planning on it. Like My don't God. shoot the hostage. Seems like mercenary one hundred and one when you're in the defense <laughs> game. I. Uh... <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I'll have to ask my mercenary friend. I don't have a mercenary friend. <laughs> also, um, we get back to the robot, and I feel like there's maybe a miscommunication about it at this point, because Peter Parker, you know, Spider-Man, you might have heard of him, uh, says, I'm out, but there's only 15 seconds left. How do I stop this thing? Flashback to the fight. Um, yeah, this guy, it uses, I guess, not a laser cannon, but uses an ultra-gravity field that pegs Ock with this thing. But apparently this gravity thing doesn't affect the tentacles. The Wild Pack tries a few different non-lethal approaches, all of which are ineffective. They 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 try the anti-gravity, they try to like goop him, um, and he just he breaks out. Um Meanwhile, Spider-Man underneath is attempting to figure out how he can stop this device until, you know, with mere seconds to go, he discovers that this doomsday device has a conveniently, and not to mention properly labeled, on-off switch. The off position is up 
though, I want to note, which is counterintuitive. It, it is counterintuitive, but I mean, yeah, okay, so this is clearly just a gag. And I, I think it's just a gag that has not aged particularly well. Um, cause as, as you pointed out before we started recording, Matt, like the eighties were filled with doomsday devices left and right. So to find one that actually has like an on off switch would be kind of funny, but I feel like the, like the joke has been played out in the past 28 years since this comic was, um, was released. And, and, and so at this point it's just kind of a really, really lazy uh, Deus Ex Machina, uh, and you know, so so Spider Man flips the switch, and the bugle still stands, yay! Yeah, um, except all the all the support pillars were cracking, so <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, are are you saying that Doc Ock's robot can't bend steel beams? I I'm just saying. <laughs> It seems like there'd still be damage. I don't know. Um, uh, well. <laughs> I don't know. Spider-Man shows up, frees Mary Jane from the tentacle. There's some Rasmafraz. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, there's uh, a brief tussle between Spider-Man and Doc Ock. They, they kind of square up again. Doc Ock has them on the ropes, but the Wild Pack then shows up again to kind of save the day. They pull Spider-Man out of out of uh, out of the uh, harm's way, more or less, and Doc off skitters off uh, away, defeated. Uh, the comic, and then the comic kind of ends. Well, no, there's a whole nother bit that I'm just gonna blow through here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ox steals Jameson's wife and holds her ransom. Then Spider-Man goes and saves her. You know, there's another tussle. She gets back. And then Jameson's left with a choice. He can either have his construction crews deal with repairs for the bugle and all that. So I guess they do address what I was talking about earlier. Or they can take down the billboards of Spider-Man doing all that. But since Spider-Man just saved his wife, I guess we can leave the billboards up just a little while longer. Da, 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 right. da, so, da. Yeah. So no, it, it is. It, it's it's worth bringing up because it is a good character moment for Jameson. It shows that he's not entirely just, you know, a cartoon villain. That like he does ha- show appreciation for Spider-Man for saving his wife, and the, and then kind of begrudgingly leaves up these pro Spider-Man billboards for a little while longer. Um, uh, I, I we also kind of glazed over what was probably the most interesting part of this entire three issue arc where um Ock has a moment where it looks like he's figured out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man's wife. Wait, what? <laughs> that, that Mary Jane is Spider-Man's wife. That's sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, be, because he notices notes notes that when Spider-Man is fighting, he puts himself in grave danger more so than what he normally would for another civilian. When Mary Jane is is endangered, and so uh, Ock is just like the 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 panel has Ock pondering and saying his wife, and you're you're thinking, oh man, oh man, did he figure out? And then what he's actually is pondering a scheme to kidnap jameson's wife to continue the the uh i I guess technically it's not blackmail but you know the the extortion Mm -hmm. um so eh, well i mean it it was an exciting moment it it caught me off guard uh i mean i I, 
I clearly knew that Ock did not, you know, figure out Spider-Man's identity, but it was it was an interesting turn anyway. But well, he knows it now. Yeah, yeah. He he. I mean, he knows everything about Spider-Man's life. It'd be weird. It'd be weird if someone knew like everything. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I feel like the Christmas issues more where I want to put this on, but these two issues just really felt like a bad episode of the old '90s cartoon. You know, weirdo yeah, no, the, non-guns. The, the... Mm-hmm. And there's a number of times where Spider-Man shouts, Mary Jane! You can just <laughs> hear the voice. And some weird uh, dumb doomsday device that ultimately is non-threatening. I'll agree with that. This this definitely sounds, or th- I, I'm sorry, this definitely reads kind of like a cartoon plot. Um, you know, we've got the secret underground lair. We've got the, you know, the doomsday device. A lot of things happen by chance. And by Deus Ex Machina, um, so that we and so that you know, so the the story is not super complicated. It's easy to follow. Um, it, it kind of ends on on you know the, the the note of I guess you know I guess I'll let the the billboard stay up a little bit longer. Yeah, you know, like you know you can see just the, you know the 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 slow pan up and then executive producer Dick Wolf. Um, <laughs> Because now it's Law and Order. Um, so, kids, Law and Order was a crime procedural show <laughs> in the '90s that would end each episode by going to a black screen that said "Executive Producer Dick Wolf." <laughs> anyway, all right. So, so that, that's that's the end of this issue. Um, and yeah, no, I'll, I'll agree with you. This this the the Christmas issue was a lot stronger. Not to say that it was a super super like gripping issue of spider-man but for what it was it was it was okay the the next two issues felt they felt rote like this this felt like a very i could like if we were getting a lot of stories like this for spider-man i could understand why people were drawn toward the like really extreme and wild twist and turns of of the the later 90s of, of like the clone saga because you know while that was really like you know far past what spider-man was and it was difficult to follow and thing and like more and more stuff happened at least it wasn't boring uh like and and not to say that these past two issues were boring but you can tell that this was something that was scripted by three different people and not like and it seems like it was scripted by three different people because no one could really quite figure out what they wanted this story to be uh because i i mean we, we already have like no we, we we've got like the disjoint where like was this supposed to be a three-part arc or was this supposed to be you know a story that they just happened to thread Ock in because why not um you know it, it there there's a serious disconnect between the first issue and the next two issues that's never really addressed um and i mean like we say this is a three-part arc the story does not like it, it the story never says part one of three or part two of three or, or or whatever but just purely going off the covers and the fact that it's three three doc ock stories back to back you you i mean i'm led to i'm led to believe that it's supposed to be an arc or, or do, you, do you have problems with calling this an arc 
I mean, I mean, not really, but I mean, it's a looser side of it. I mean, there's the mm-hmm. one issue and then there's the two issues, definitely. But I mean, playing with the form a little bit is always fine. This isn't necessarily a successful use of it, but it's a little different. You know, I, it sticks out in my head a little more for it. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I there's There's bad things in these comics, but I wouldn't make that the negative, I guess. Um, because it's serial storytelling, so playing with the idea that there's some different time and that these characters would engage at different points, I don't know, I, that that's fine by me. Um, what, what isn't so fine by me is the, the last two issues where it's just this kind of paint-by-numbers story, you know, you have the villain, you have the contrivance, you have the loose tie to more of the cast, and not much more, there's not much more love put into it past the plot. There's a few good lines, but yeah. Right. And and I think that's what I mean by saying that, you know, three people wrote it and and they didn't quite get what they wanted to in that, like, there's, there's not much past just, just the surface plot. There, there, you know, it's just not interesting. Like it's, it's, I mean, this, this is more or less a fill in during the, uh, jmd mateus kind of run on spectacular um and so i I think you you can really see kind of the 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 contrast there with i mean this this is right around when child within was uh about to come out right and so like yeah night and day yeah yeah night and day um yeah so so that's that's just what i mean there um how does this feel as being a Spider-Man comic to you? Because, I mean, all things told, there's actually not a ton of Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, it. this definitely feels like a spectacular Spider-Man. And, like, I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> the smirching, the good name of Spectacular. <laughs> I, I know it's it's like a sticking point for you that sometimes I, I lean a little bit too too hard into the the marketing side of these these stories, but this I mean this is a this is a, a series of stories that's told primarily around the support cast of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and I I think that that spectacular has always kind of been more about the support cast and the life of Peter Parker than amazing you know more about just the superheroic so um while this isn't like a great a super great spider-man story i feel like this is a you know this is well within the tradition of spectacular to kind of have a little less spider-man in the story um this one just didn't seem to have a little less spider-man for the better this seemed to be a little detracted because of it that's fair yeah um I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add to this one? No, I mean, we've we've said our pieces. We've said a lot more about this than I thought we were going to be able to say. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is there's not much going on to the story. Um, it's it, it like it's it's surface level, and that's about it. Yeah. So I'm looking at our glorious web of rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the first one that comes to mind to compare this to would be one we did recently, Media Blizzard. Do you feel this is stronger or weaker than Media Blizzard because I feel like that's a good comparison point. Uh I feel like this is a little bit stronger than Media Blizzard because I mean, while this was wrote, I think is what I used, uh, you know, it still works. Like, Doc Ock has always had his, like, underground layers. His plot makes sense. You know, it, it might be a little uninspired, but it's still a competently told, 
Doc Ock story. Media Blizzard had a lot of interesting ideas around it, but the central, the central, you know, point thread of that story was that Mysterio bit, and it just didn't make any sense. It was not a good Mysterio story. It was not a, it was not a good use of Mysterio. And so I would, I would say that this, this should be above Media Blizzard uh, because of that. I'm thinking uh, this one should be below Web of Spider-Man 8 and 9, though. Uh, so I, I think we're in the same ballpark. I was probably going to put it uh, above Death of the Goblin Construct below Spider-Man India. Um, I would put it a little higher than some of those. I definitely think this is better. Like, I agree with you. Web of Spider-Man 8 and 9 seems about the point. Like, there's, it's an odd off, but it's a very middling thing, like... There's some mm. good moments, like I said, and it, it's a little dull, like you said. I don't know if it's, I'd call it boring. Like, there's enough punching and uh, odd oddities <laughs> going on here. Like, even the stuff that doesn't necessarily work. The on-off switch gag is still like, all right. Uh, um, it's interesting. So, I'd put this above Final Adventure, at least, like I was saying. Okay, no, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Which puts it right below Web of 89. Yeah, no, that, that, that's good. That's good. I'm, go- I'm good with that. Our new number 19 is this Doc Ock uh, somewhat Xmas related arc. Uh, the Doc Ock who stole Christmas? Yeah, the Doc Ock who stole Christmas. All right, um... Okay, so we've got one more story in store for you guys with the Winter Wonderland, and that's going to be Spider-Man's Tangled Web, number 21, Twas the Fight Before Christmas. And uh, before we get to everyone's favorite part of the podcast where I talk about the Patreon, uh, Matt and I (laughs) wanted to discuss... Matt and I want to discuss a few changes to the show. Uh, Since we've launched Untold Talks, Matt and I have been just churning out content, giving you guys weekly episodes between 30 and 60-ish minutes. Uh, Bonus episodes on Patreon, as well as Spider-Geddon skits and coverage. Uh, Spider-Talk, or I'm sorry, Untold Talks is a two-man show. Matt and I do everything from research to planning to scripting to production. Well, but his time is what we we should give Dan a nod for hosting. He pay, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. He pays yeah, the bills. He, He's our sugar daddy. <laughs> Thank you, sugar daddy Dan. <laughs> um, there we go. That that's his new Marvel name. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know about that. I, 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 I'm good with say. that. Sugar daddy Dan <laughs> is how I'll refer to him from now on. Well, when when he comes on the show, let's see, let's see if you stick to that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, we are part of the Spider Talk network, so uh, that, that's why we share a Patreon with uh, with Dan and Mark's show. But anyway, <laughs> as time has gone on, it's become evident that we're putting out a little too much content for you guys to keep up with. So on and on top of that, despite what it may seem from our vast knowledge of Spider Man and weekly devotion to editing audio matt and i actually do have real lives like we actually have people in our lives that we care about and care for and (laughs) so sometimes those lives demand that we do something uh more than just podcast about spider-man non-stop uh no matter how important it is that you guys know about the time aunt may got the power cosmic so the good news is the show is not going anywhere you're still gonna have to suffer hearing matt and me talk about spider-man uh, the other news, however, is that in 2019, we're going to drop the weekly format. 
Uh, we'll play around with exactly how often the show is going to come out. But uh, we're right now we're looking at, what, like twice a month instead of four times a month? Yeah, we'll, um, we'll see how it goes. But uh... Yeah, we'll, we'll see it, how it goes. And we're going to tweak the formatting a little bit so that we can keep the episodes lean, mean, and without repeating talking points, you know, for the third rhyming bit. Um, you know, and we're, we're hoping this extra time will give you guys, uh, one, enough time to catch up, and two, enough time for us so that we're able to increase the quality of the episodes and the quality of the stories. Uh, right now, when we pick stories, we kind of go through a list, and we don't really have enough time to vet them all uh, before we put them on. We just kind of have to go with our gut and say, this one looks good. I trust Peter David. And sometimes it's a great story. Sometimes we go with our gut and we trust someone and it's a bad story, like Cosmic Carnage. <laughs> well, but I mean, I still want to talk about some of those, but I'd like to talk about them with maybe a bit more context. And, you know, Dan and Mark or the guys from Ultimate Spin churn out a very different podcast than what we've been doing. And a large part of that is because the sheer amount of content we're churning through you know, uh, as opposed to talking about one issue every few weeks and getting to do background on it, we're going through, like, here, three issues, and then talking about eight B-books, and then talking about Spider-Geddon as well, and that, you know, was our, that was a one-week churn for us at some points, whereas, you know, other weeks we'd do a little less, but we'd be doing other stuff and I'm doing another podcast where I read and do stuff for too. And it's just, it's a churn of content versus being able to dig on the content. And we want to churn out something that's maybe a little more up to what you guys might be expecting. Yes. Yes. So, um, for those of those, for those of you who were enjoying the extra weekly content, however, Matt and I will still be producing our Patreon episodes. Uh, I didn't agree know, to not this. <laughs> well, guess what? You have now. Uh, not only will you get the extra content that you crave, but your mere $3.99 a month goes toward the cost involved with running a podcast. You, uh, if you want to talk to us, you can also talk to us on that amazing Spider Slack community by clicking the link in the show notes. You can talk to us on Twitter. If you want um, anything, anything at all from our show, you can always reach out to us on Twitter or you can email us at untoldtalksofspiderman at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach out to us personally. My Twitter handle is at Kane Wrights. Uh, Matt's Twitter handle is Real Donald Trump. And Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's Twitter handle is at Magical Matt 42. You remembered. I did remember. Uh, like always, we'd like to give a special thanks to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song, show notes for them, and. Until Matt and I's exes try to win us back with their cool bathospheres, make mine untold. Oh, dang. I was thinking, until you eat eat a bakery good that causes your ears to uncontrollably wiggle, make mine untold. <laughs> oh, oh dear. All right. <laughs>